0: All right. So turn to Philippians two. That's where this lesson comes from. So um, this teaching is um, trying to get there is is rooted in this section of Philippians. um, But a lot of the lessons that or kind of points that I want to make, things I want to talk about, um, just come out of the text. It's not so much like an exposition of this is what this text is. It's more like. Given who this text tells us to be, this is how we can implement it in ministry. Does that make sense? So we'll talk a little bit about Philippians and Philippians 2 kind of on its own right. But a lot of this is going to be kind of put your ministry lens on and then let Philippians 2 be the basis for how we do some things in our ministries. Does that click? Good? Okay. Um, So we're in Philippians 2. Um, Let me just read verses 1 through 11, and then we'll kind of go back through and make some notes. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, So I love this little section of Philippians for lots of reasons. One of the things I love about it is that this is um, a lot of Bible scholars think that this is maybe like an early church hymn, like a song they would sing. And so when Paul quotes it here, either Paul wrote it and that's when it became an early church hymn, or it was an early church hymn that Paul like kind of breaks into song to help make his point, which is really cool. I also think it's really cool to think about how if the early church is singing this as their worship song, they're just telling the gospel story, which is pretty cool. So think, oh, praise the name. Think, King of Kings. Think, Hope of the Ages. Think, you know, songs like that, uh, Living Hope, things like that that just retell the story have always been the language of worship in the church. And think about how powerful those songs are to sing. I think it's just because there's something about reminding ourselves what's most true, um, that's always been the case. So I love that that's um, kind of this little section of scripture, and then Paul breaks into song as he's talking about, okay, let's talk about church life. Like you guys are united with Christ, you want to be together, you want to do this thing together. This is what it's going to look like. Let's just worship. Like that's what he breaks into. And which for one, I think is probably the overflow of how much he cares about it. For another, I think is the overflow of like if you want to do it well, then you just do Jesus stuff. Like that's just how it, how it goes. It's pretty simple. Um, the basic kind of thing. I think of um, you know, the movie Remember the Titans. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is great. love that movie. I love the scene when they're about to get on bu- on the bus to go to their like summer training camp for the first time. And um, Coach Boone hands his playbook to the new staff. And they pick it up and they're like, this is a really thin playbook. It's basically just like a couple sheets of paper. And he's like, yeah, I run sixth place. But it's like Novocaine, give it time, it always works. Um, but I love that. I think that's kind of church life sometimes. It's like... This is He's not saying I need to be the most clever, the most creative, the most new, the most outlandish, the most crazy, all the variety. It's like you do this every time. Eventually, it works if you do it right. I think that's this kind of stuff. You want church life to work. You want ministry to work. You want church to work. You want it to be effective. You want outreach to be effective. There's really only a few things we do. We preach the gospel. We worship. We take care of each other in small groups. That's kind of it. You know, when you do those things really well, every time it works. Um, so I think that's what this passage is, is getting at a little bit. So um, your first kind of sections there are just that if then. Let's just kind of, there's no like specific blank for that, but let's just sit in that for a minute. So um, Paul starts off this section with these if statements. If you have encouragement from being united with Christ, so like if. It's good to be with Him. It's good to be a Christian. You, like, your soul is encouraged by being one with Christ. It should be, right? Because you were dead in your transgressions and sins before that. Now you're alive, so you should feel pretty good. So if that's true, um, and if you have any comfort from being loved by Him, man, I hope that's true. Um, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit. I, l- I love that it it's not just fellowship. It's not just like you enjoy each other. I think that's probably happening here, but it's like, are you in fellowship with the Spirit? If that's the case... Then these other things are going to flow out of it. Think of what Paul said would have been earlier than this in Galatians. Keep in step with the Spirit, right? That's, I think, the kind of thing. Like, I have, (laughs) sorry, I have like fellowship, community, unity. I'm in step with the Spirit, if that's happening. And if you have any tenderness and compassion. So, like, I think the tenderness and compassion probably flows from those other things, right? Like, I'm united with Christ. I'm loved by God. I'm in step with the Spirit. Isn't that going to give you? and compassion. So if all those things are happening, then he says, make my joy complete. So this is like the pastor of pastors talking to this church saying, what's going to give me complete joy is if you let all those things that are spiritually true about you influence the way you live together. So have the same love, like be love one another and love the same things, like be like-minded, um, being one in spirit and purpose. So unified in what you're after, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. But that big if-then shift, I think, is huge. So for us personally, if the gospel has done what it's supposed to do, if you really are united with Christ, if he really has redeemed you, if he really does love you, if the Spirit really is starting to produce fruit in you, then what's going to happen is you're going to love people well. You're going to be tender. You're going to be compassionate. You're going to be able to unify with a church body, even if you don't agree all the time. You're going to be able to be on mission and on purpose and do important things because that's just what happens. Like, this is an if-then statement, not like, I hope you can figure it out. But, like, if this stuff is happening in you from the gospel, then join with one another in church and do it. Does that make sense? I just love the power of, like, the if-then movement. So here's kind of your bullet point that um, comes from that. Uh, Effective ministry. Effective ministry flows from affective Christianity. That's affective with an A. Those are two different words, believe it or not. Effective ministry flows from affective Christianity. So I say it that way partially because I think the parallelism is cool, but partially because I think it's like a, a helpful memory thing. So effective means like it works, right? Like it has an effect. Um, but affective is like... Um, it's actually changing you, like it's had an impact on you. So if your Christianity is effective, affective, it has done something to you. And if that's the case, then your living a Christian life will have an effect in the world. You will be effective in church leadership. Does that make sense? So effective ministry flows from effective Christianity. So the kind of obvious application there is like, don't let it stop at the mental level. Don't let it stop at the understanding level. Don't let it stop at the ritual level. It's got to be effective. It's got to make a change. It's got to do something down to even here that changes actions, and that's where ministry is going to flow out of. If you have encouragement from being united with Christ, fellowship with the Spirit, love, you know, from accept and believe and live in God's love for you, then you're going to be able to do all these things. Um, so live in that. And um, the second one, we can do ministry like Jesus when we're walking with Jesus. We can do ministry like Jesus when we're walking with. Jesus. Um, this is something cool. I, I mean, I think that kind of makes sense, but this is a cool little language thing um, here. There's a lot of really cool language things here. We'll talk about a couple of Greek words today. One of them is in verse 2, and when Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, like-minded, that's um, just like have the same mind, think the same, like, you know, unified in your thoughts and actions, and which isn't just mental. It's like a, the thing that guides your Movement is the mind word. That same word is used in verse five when it said. My version says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The word attitude in Greek is that same mind word. It's phroneo. Um, so he says in verse two, like you need to have the same phroneo among you. And if you're going to do that, you should just have the same phroneo that Jesus had. So how are we going to be able to be unified in our mind, our thinking that leads to action? It's look at Jesus do what Jesus did, think about what Jesus thought about, care about what Jesus cared about, then we're going to care about the same things. We're going to be like-minded. We're going to be able to communicate. We're going to be able to do something in unity together. So the same mind um, that was in Christ Jesus, I love that. So we do ministry like Jesus when we're walking with Jesus. So this is just the same overflow of all the stuff we always talk about, right? You have to be connected to him in order for valuable ministry to be produced in your life. You have to be. You have to know his voice. You can do effective stuff for a while. You'll wither up eventually. You can do important stuff, charismatic stuff, for a while. You'll wither eventually if you're not walking with him. Then you can do the lasting, fruitful stuff. Um, look at verse three. So um, it says, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit." Uh, take that just that seriously for a minute. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I I would rather um, do nothing if my motives are a mess. Um, in terms of doing ministry stuff than to continue just like trying to do stuff and let my motives get out of line it's like if my motives are starting to get out of place if my selfish ambition and my vain conceit are starting to run rampant then it's like it's time to scale back it's time to reconsider it's time maybe to do nothing now I think he's just saying like don't do anything out of those things but I want to sit in that do nothing command for a minute and maybe take that seriously for our ministry life If you start to notice, like, this is building my kingdom, and I feel really good about that, then, like, I want to do none of that. It's, like, maybe time for a radical stop so that I'm doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I just want to take that nothing call seriously. And that word selfish ambition, and mine, again, you guys may have different translations, so that it may be slightly different wording, Um, but mine says selfish ambition, which I think is a really good translation. Of this term. Um, In Greek it's epithéon, which I'm sure you guys all were wondering what the Greek word was. That's what it is. It's epithéon. Um, This is a really interesting word. It's used um, specifically for people in the ancient world, like when it's used in ancient Greek writing. It's used for people trying to gain a following for themselves. That's what it's used for, like somebody who's trying to get popular, trying to build something, trying to start something, want to gain a following. Could be a teacher, or religious teacher, could be something else. But selfish ambition is trying to gain a following or it's doing something only for the money. Sometimes it's used in that context in ancient Greek writing, doing something just for the money. Sometimes it's used to describe a mercenary. Think like the Mandalorian, like bounty hunter kind of thing. I'll do this if you pay me. That's what this is describing. So Paul says to church people, and we're putting our, like, we're in ministry lens on, and I would say to you, do nothing out of selfish ambition do nothing that's trying to gain a following for yourself. Do nothing just because you're going to get paid for it. Do nothing to be like a ministry mercenary where you're hired to accomplish a job because that's what you're good at and you feel great about doing that. Like, that is not what this is. Do nothing out of selfish ambition because it'll eat you alive and it'll hurt people who are following you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Um, so I think it's helpful just to think through those, even those other uses of what this, how this word was used. And I And I bet... Paul knew what he was saying. You know, I bet Paul knew what he was saying. We know in 1 Corinthians, he talks about the people who were like, you know, some follow Apollos, and some follow Paul, and some follow Peter. And he knows about this, like, gaining a following thing. He was criticized pretty hard by the Corinthians for not gaining enough of a popular following. You remember talking about that in Corinthians? So I think Paul knows what he's doing when he's saying, this is not how this thing works. We're not gain a following type of people. So I, I can't even help but notice the connection of, the word we use that's tied to our social media stuff. It's literally having a following. And that doesn't mean do no social media because Paul said not to. I don't think that's what he means. It's just a word that means, you know, I'm going to follow their information. That's okay. But, man, what a slope that is. And I would just say that's, a, that's an easy warning ground for this application to say, if you're always thinking, what can I make? What can I produce? what can I What picture can I take? What video can I do? How can I curate? so that I can gain more of a following, so that I can have more reach or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. like That's just a dangerous place to be. Again, not altogether bad. This is not a you-must-cancel-all-your-social-media-now application. But it is just to keep that warning in front of us. Use it. Leverage it. Use it for the kingdom. It's valuable. But if it's starting to generate this monster in you where you're doing stuff because of selfish ambition, then I think Paul would say, then do nothing. Mm -hmm. It's not worth it. So I don't know where that application line is for you. You need to discern that. It's one of the. It's not the only place either. It's one of the places where that happens easy. Um, but always, we always need to be guarding against selfish ambition and being a ministry mercenary. It's a yucky place to end up. The second one, he said, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. Vain conceit. Um, the Greek word for this one is a compound word that's not used very often, um, but it's used... Uh, well, I don't remember how often this is used. I was thinking of a different one. But this is a compound word. Um, that Paul kind of puts together, that means empty glory. It's two words, like empty and glory, he puts them together. Vain conceit is kind of what that is. So vanity, you know, is this like self focus I want attention, I want to look good, I want to be presented a certain way. Um, conceit glory is like how good I appear to everybody. Could be physical, could be other things. Um, but he says do nothing out of that empty chasing for personal glory, um, that kind of thing. Um this is interesting too in, in um, kind of a Greek note. So here it says, Paul says, do nothing out of vain conceit. The same Greek concept is used later in verse 7 when it says that Jesus, who was in very nature God, made himself nothing. That's, the, in, that's three words in my English. In Greek, that's one word. That's he emptied his own glory. So in, in here, Paul is warning us in verse um, 3 Paul is warning us not to chase empty glory. In verse 7, he says you should be like Jesus who emptied himself of his glory. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of Greek root. So again, I think Paul probably knew the language that he was playing with here, almost the poetry he was playing with. It's like, you want to chase empty glory? That's fine. We follow a king who emptied himself of all glory. So you think you're better than that? Okay. See how that turns out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so let that warning sink in deep. Do nothing um, that's going to try to puff you up, make you noticed, make you important, make you powerful, because that kind of stuff will end up crushing you. Instead, empty yourself of as much glory as you can, and then you'll be like Jesus. And when you're like Jesus, you do ministry like Jesus. And that's the kind of ministry we want to do. Um, so I just love that little language thing um, Paul does from verse 3 and verse 7. Um, so out of, after that then, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy, but in humility, in humility, consider others better than yourselves, he says in verse 3. Um, so here's your fill-in-the-blank for that one. True humility... True humility destroys comparison by taking the attention off of yourself. True humility destroys comparison by taking the attention off of yourself. True humility does a lot of other things, too. And we've talked about this a lot. You've read the books a lot. You read it this week. I'm in Jenny Allen's book. We read the Tim Keller book all the time. Humility does so much for you having an accurate view of yourself, which means not thinking too highly of yourself also means not thinking too lowly of yourself because either way, the attention's on you. Um, I, think I've told you this, I think I've told you this story before, but if not, it's still helpful. I was talking to somebody who um, used to be our worship leader on our staff years and years and years ago. None of you would know him. Um, it was a great conversation. And I just said something offhand. I was saying something about, like, I think I was trying to schedule something with him, and um, he asked for a time, and I couldn't do it or something like that. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I've, oh, I'm so sorry. I feel bad about that. And he was like, why do you feel bad about that? And I was like, I feel, I was kind of joking, but it was like, I feel guilty about something about 99% of the time. That's just kind of how I live. And he kind of laughed, and he's like, well, you know what? Maybe when we get together, we should talk about that, because that's actually selfishness, if you're actually thinking of yourself that much. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe we won't do coffee. <laughs> that was enough, you know? Um, but that, that really stuck with me, because that feels so humble and self-effacing, and I just don't want to be in the way, and it's not, I'm so sorry. But the, that what that conveys is, like, I must be the biggest problem to you. I must be the biggest concern to you. I must be the biggest thing you're thinking about. And people are like, I don't know, leave me alone. You're fine. Um, but that there's selfishness there. Just as much as there's selfishness in build your whole life around my calendar, please, so that I can be at every meeting I am in charge. That's also selfishness and self-focus. Humility destroys that. So it destroys our need or desire to compare to one another. It destroys our evaluating against one another. It destroys our puffed up arrogance, it destroys our deflated ego, like that empty balloon flopping on the ground that's good for nothing. It destroys all of that because the attention is off of me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, which is all puff me up, build me up, look at me, follow me, watch me, look how glorious. Do nothing out of that. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. If other people are the most important person in the room, then I can't be, right? And if they feel the same way about me as I do about them, Isn't that the community you want to be part of? That's the best. You guys have been in rooms like that where people are just trying to bless you and you're just trying to bless them, and, like, that's good life, you know? That's what we want. I I think of, um, when I think of this in humility, consider others better than yourself. Um, Beth Stone, who is Dave Stone, our former senior pastor's wife, does this better than anybody I've ever known. Um, And I bet if she were here, she would say, oh, no, 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 you should meet so-and-so, which proves the point. If you're ever around Beth... You, you are the most important person in that moment that she's ever talked to. If you're ever at her house, it's like, I think I made their night just by showing up. Mm-hmm. And I know they had to move heaven and earth to schedule it, but I think that made their day. How did that, you know, you just feel like the most important person in the world. And I don't think it's a show. And I don't think it's a, you know, a thing that they put up. I think they really think, they really believe in humility. I consider others better than myself. And you feel that way. When you walk away, and you know what it does, this is the cool thing. It doesn't make you walk away saying, "Wow, I guess I am pretty important." It makes you walk away saying, "Man, I gotta have people over more often. I gotta bless people more. Often. I wanna make somebody feel like I just felt." That's what it does to you, and so it kind of perpetuates this beautiful ministry, servant-hearted, humble thing. That's the kingdom. Um, so I love that. Um, and humility, consider others better than yourself. When you take the attention off yourself, and that's when it really does does amazing things. Um, here is the word that's only used a few times. Um, so in my version when it says, consider others better than yourself. This is kind of a weird Greek sentence. So is it, I was even trying to figure out, how can I teach this? I don't know how I'm going to teach this, so I'm going to scramble through it because it's weird. But basically... Um, it's like a, a few different words he strings together that we try to translate into a sentence that flows, so it's hard to, to quite get the picture. I think the news translation translates it accurately and well. It's helpful. But there's some depth to it that I think is pretty cool. So in that um, considering others, consider others better than yourselves, um, That is a, um, that better than part is, is what I want to talk about, the better than yourselves um, is a Greek word that's only used five times in the New Testament. This is the one that's not used very often. So considering somebody better than you, to look at somebody higher than you. So one of those times is in Romans 13, where it's talking about the government. So that's when it's like, submit to the government because they are over you, because they're in, in charge, right? It makes sense. Um, uh, another time is in First Peter, when he says, submit to the king who's in charge of you, because he's over you. So it's just kind of practical, like governmental stuff. They're the leader submit the other three times out of five are in Philippians and two of those times it talks about God like God is over us Jesus is over us this time here consider other people over you I think that's really interesting that like two of these times are like obvious governmental like I mean submit the president is kind of more important than you right sure uh that makes sense to me it's obvious to me that like God is more important than you. Jesus is the king of the universe. He is over you. Right. But then here Paul is saying, consider all other people like a king, like the president, like God himself for visiting you. There's another verse that doesn't use this word, but it just makes me think of, I think it's in Hebrews where it says, it's basically like treat people well, because you never know when you've entertained angels without knowing it. Do um, you guys know what I'm talking about that verse? I think it's that kind of concept. of like you never... Treat people as if it's God's presence himself because they are God's image, right? Treat people as if God himself is with you better than you because that's the kind of level we're talking about. I think that's a pretty deep thing that Paul does with this word. The only other times he uses it uh, means something way, way, way different. Um, So I think that's pretty interesting. Does that make sense? Thoughts or questions about this stuff so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Roman, it's Romans thirteen. I don't know the exact verse, but it's Romans thirteen. I bet you could find it if you read through. And then the other one is in First Peter. Again, I didn't write down the verse. I want to say it's chapter three, but I don't remember that for sure. Yeah, but it, it'd be pretty easy to find if you. No, uh-huh. the Hebrews one I don't remember where that verse is that's not even I just thought of it just now most excessive about the newsboys um, if you don't know the newsboys song <laughs> Entertaining Angels I highly recommend that you YouTube the music video and settle in and enjoy yourselves for some <laughs> 90's Christianity um, I don't know where that is I want to say it's Hebrews chapter 13 but I don't know that for sure yeah. but I bet if you googled Entertaining Angels verse you can find the verse and then you can watch the video and you'll have a ball uh, okay, next. So these are, um, that's kind of our sitting in the text. Now these next things I want to give you are here are some ideas, some things that I think I've learned, some things that would be helpful for you that that type of mindset gives us um, to do in ministry. Um, just kind of some applications for us as we do ministry based on the life of Jesus. Yeah? Mm-hmm. All right. Here we go. First one. Be responsible and dependable with details and communication. Be responsible and dependable with details and communication. It may seem like kind of out of left field, but if we really are in true humility, considering others better than ourselves, then somebody's trying to communicate with us, somebody needs something from us, somebody asks a question of us, then it is worth our response to them. Um, It's easy sometimes to get behind. You can't always be just like tied to your phone and tied to your email and do everything really fast all the time. Like it's okay to take time and do what you need to do. But don't just be somebody who is like, I don't know, I'm terrible with that stuff. I don't I lose all my emails all the time. Don't be that kind of person. Because how I feel when I interact with somebody like that is, so either I don't matter to you at all, or no other people matter to you at all, and you only do what you want to do and have time for on a given day. Which may or may not be me, may or may not be anybody else, may or may not be anything anybody else thinks is important. I just don't care about getting back to emails. I'm just so bad at that. Well, get good at it. Because communicating with people matters, you know, responding to people matters. Again, sometimes it takes a while. You guys have emailed and texted me enough to know. I'm not always tied to my phone. not always tied to my email. I'll get back to you when I can. And if I think it's going to be a while, I'll try to let you know. Um, I'm not always great at this. I still can grow. But on the whole, I, I just think our thrust should be be able to respond to emails, texts, questions. Be reachable. Be dependable with that stuff. And don't just think, well, that's not my skill set. Like, well, make it a little bit of your skill set. Because in true humility, we consider others better than ourselves. So it's worth doing. Because it's going to bless them. Just like you would hope for from someone else. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, Next one. Be honest in big and little things. Be honest in big and little things. So if we are going to consider others better than ourselves, if we're going to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, try to do ministry for money or try to do ministry for a following, if we're going to keep in step with the Spirit and live out of tenderness and compassion, if we're going to try to be like-minded and loving with one another, then that means, like, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I'm not going to be dishonest. I'm not going to be deceitful. I'm not going to manipulate information to try to make it sound a certain way so that I look a certain way, because that's what happens sometimes. And um, I think that kind of thing, the little, like, selfish ambition, vain conceit type of Manipulating or massaging a situation so that you look a certain way that it, it happens so fast and so subtly sometimes you don 't even realize it we all do this, we all do this where you just like retell a story in a way that sounds funnier where you sound a little bit better or their tone sounds a little worse than it probably was, and you don 't even realize you know we just that 's what we do. Um, I would say just ask the spirit for a quick conviction on that stuff to be honest because it's that little stuff that probably doesn't matter that much that eventually leads to. Bigger stuff and bigger stuff, and more massaging the truth, and more twisting information, and more withholding information. And all of a sudden, it's like, where did we get here? That doesn't always happen. I don't want to scare you with that. But just like, keep integrity in check, keep honesty in check. That's going to bless other people. It's going to keep you from vain conceit. Find those little ways that that stuff gets in and get rid of that. And then the big ways are never a problem, they're never there. So be honest in big and little things. And those little ones, I think, um, save us from a lot of big trouble later. <laughs> Um, next <clears throat> Get comfortable with small talk Get comfortable with small talk And get good at shifting it to deep talk Get comfortable with small talk And get good at shifting it to deep talk um, Small talk is so much of ministry Is it not? Mm-hmm. You're mingling with volunteers And it's kind of painful And you show up in the room And everybody's here And you're not sure what to do And the music's not loud enough And you don't know what to say And kind of miserable And you kind of hate it And then you go home and think Oh, it's not, not bad You know, was a good night and then you show up again, and you're like, oh, I hate this part. Like, that's just what it is. Even Thursdays with a group of people that, like, I love being around and feel totally comfortable with you. There's a little bit of, like, hey, how you doing? How's your week? Like, that's just how we interact. It's just a little bit of that stuff. Ministry is so much of that, especially in new contexts when you don't know everybody super well and you're not ready to really dive in there. You just got to do it. So similarly to the communication thing, don't just lean on, like, well, that's not me. I don't really have that. I'm an introvert. Like, I'm an introvert you got to show up and light up a room sometimes. you got to flip the switch sometimes and be the small talk person. And it's painful, and I don't really like it, but I like where it gets me because it helps me get to what I need with people. It helps me get to what they need. It helps me get to be able to shepherd them because I've done the little stuff, and you do the surface stuff, and you kind of do what you have to do, and now we can talk. So that's the skill, though. It's not just like show up and enjoy talking about the weather, but like how can we have some small talk? And then get good at making a shift. You know, get good at asking the follow-up question. Get good at winsomely asking a deep question. Because I think there's a way, you guys have probably felt this, and it's not always comfortable. When you're just talking to somebody, and it's, and it's like that, and then they're like, all right, so tell me what's really going on this week. And you're like, whoa, I don't, you know, I don't know that I want to do that right now. But there's also the way that you can just be talking, and things are normal. And they say something about, it, like, well, you know, I was dropping my kids off this week, and it was kind of hectic. But, you know, it's always hectic, so it's just how it is. Like, oh, man, yeah. What's that like for you? To, like, I bet that's draining. How, how is that, like, in most weeks? Even that is, like, that doesn't feel like a penetrating question, but, like, oh, wow, I bet so. Tell me more about that. That's a, like, a little invitation into, like, we've been surface, it's been normal. Now we're talking. You know, but making those shifts in ways that aren't intimidating, that aren't abrasive, that aren't overwhelming, but get you there. Now you're there. And then the next time you see them, you're like, hey, how was it this week? Was carpool crazy? How's your heart? Because I know you said that can be heart. And then you're a step deeper and a step deeper. Now you're shepherding hearts instead of just doing small talk. So finally, don't get so overwhelmed or worn out by the petty stuff. That you can't make the shift because that's where ministry happens. Is that making sense? Mm-hmm. You guys have thoughts or questions about that or experience with that that you feel like sharing? You don't have to. But. Um, yeah. So our
1: leaders are just a little awkward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, Reed has really challenged me to um, dive deeper. Yeah. So like I have one leader um, that I've gotten awkward at first but like now we've like really gotten to know each other and so yeah. now like um, I get to ask about her daughter that's in college and just kind of navigating that because she's like doesn't know if she wants to go to church she doesn't know if she wants Jesus kind of thing so yeah we can mm-hmm. that awkward, so. that's <laughs> good you're like what else do I talk
0: about yeah uh, at certain level but. yeah. And it would be easy to let that set your tone. And know, like, I'm going into this thing, it's going to be awkward again. Or you can say, I'm going to go in this thing, and I'm going to set the bar here. And make the room rise to it. And then I feel better about it. You know, but it's hard. you got to, like, pep yourself up for it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Totally
0: worth it. Totally worth it. It's good. Um, That gets hard, hard, too, in, like, environments that have become normal. When it's like, we've done this every week, and it's just the same people every week, and we've never taken it to that deeper step, then you feel, like, stuck in a rut. I would say it's okay to break that because everybody else probably wants that too. Nobody loves small talk chit-chat. Some people are better at it than others. Some people it wears out more than others. But nobody's like, you know what I love? I love a, you know, 45 minutes of solid small talk that just stays on the surface. It's my fit. Nobody thinks that. So even if you're in an environment where you just feel in a deep rut, if you can find a way to like lean out of it, pull somebody out of it, ask a conversation that shifts the tone, everybody wants it. So we can be the people who do it,
2: you know.
0: Mm -hmm. Take some prep. Take some thought. Take some emotional energy. Totally worth it. Um, Next one. Be interruptible. Be interruptible. Because in humility, we consider others better than ourselves. It's not about vain conceit. It's not about empty glory. It's not about selfish ambition. It's not about what I need to manage so that I can do what I need to do. It's not about the thing that I'm doing that's more important than the thing that you're doing i going to be interruptible. Now, your next bullet, I'm going to give you both of these, and we'll kind of talk around the balance because it's hard. The next one is be productive. <laughs> be productive. So we need to be interruptible. We also need to be productive because this work is worth doing, and it's worth doing well, and the gospel is really important. And if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if, um, what is it, any comfort from his love, If any fellowship with the Spirit, if you have those things, then I think it's worth working hard. To do something with it. If Jesus really has done all this stuff that the hymn says he did, making himself nothing to the very nature of the servant, and all of heaven and earth and under the earth are going to bow down before him someday, if that really is true, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: then there's a lot of work to do that's worth doing. So it's worth being productive and not just being at the whim of everything that's happening around you all the time. However, I've also seen, you guys probably experienced this some too, I would imagine, sometimes people are so intent on their productivity structures and when they do certain things and that they don't do certain things at other times and they are so in charge of their schedule all the time that it's like, well, what if I'm, like, having the worst day I've had? What if, like, somebody died and they need somebody to do their funeral? What if, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you know, somebody comes by and just really needs some wisdom on something? Like, there's so many what-if things that I don't want to be so tied to a productivity structure that I can't be a pastor You know what I mean? Um, Because that's what we're called to do. And in humility, other people, are I consider them better than me. And also the work I'm doing really matters. So sometimes what that means is I do some work later or earlier because something came up that needed to happen. And that's where I've never regretted that. You know, I've never regretted saying yes to what was an interruption to my planned day. And then... You know, you're working late at night or you're working early in the morning or you cancel something else the next day. I've never been like, oh, this is so dumb. I wish I wouldn't have let myself get interrupted because that person could have dealt with it on their own. You never feel that way. You're always like, this is what I'm called to do. This is it. I'm so glad they came. You know, that's the truth. So it's always worth being interruptible. But you also need to be able to get something done. So I think sometimes um, interruptibility, I've been guilty of this. I don't do this great. Sometimes interruptibility, um, is kind of the noble excuse for, um, like, laziness or poor planning mm-hmm. <laughs> or procrastination. You know, and it feels like, yeah, somebody came by, so we were talking. It's like, well, did they, like, need to talk? Or did I want to not do this thing, so I stepped outside and we hung out for an hour? Because those are different things, you know. Uh, and sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's not okay. And I will tell you, I have regretted that. If I'm sitting up late at night working on a sermon and thinking, I wasted hour and a half today, procrastinating and hanging out and doing stuff I didn't need to do that was kind of fun for a while, but I'm
2: miserable now.
0: I have regretted that. But I've not regretted taking a valuable interruption. So it's hard to balance that sometimes. Um, But I think thinking about that, like it's different. Being interruptible is different than being a procrastinator. Being interruptible is different than being lazy or taking the easy way out of hard projects. Those are different things, so that can be helpful. The other thing I think is that discernment is the thing that just fills the gap there. When it's like, i got to be productive, i got to do stuff, I want to plan my day, I want to have an idea, like if I'm preaching a sermon at Man Challenge or something, I know that takes a certain amount of hours to write. Mm-hmm. And I know if I don't put those hours on the calendar, then I'm going to spend all of them on Wednesday night and not sleep, which has happened before, and it's awful. And I regret it, and I don't do a good job.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But if I don't plan that time, I don't spend that time, and then I regret it. So I've got to fill the gap somewhere in there so that I'm planned out, so that I'm productive, so that I accomplish the things that need to be accomplished. But I'm also flexible enough to respond to the things God brings to mind. So discernment just has to fill that gap. Like even in a quick moment, because you can't always decide, like, you know, something comes up in a moment. You can't, like, have it, give me 10 minutes while I pray and seek the Lord's will on if I should allow you to interrupt me or not. That's not how it goes. It's just being in step with Him, having fellowship with the Spirit, right? So that when those things come up, it's an easy yes or no of what's right, right? And that only comes from time with Him and walking with Him. There's just got to be discernment to fill the gap. Does that all make sense? It's a classic tension you're going to feel the rest of your life. You'll never solve it. But embrace it. It's true. Discern the difference. Meet the needs that the Lord wants you to meet. And you'll never regret it. Um, Next one. Learn to empathize without making it about you. Learn to empathize without making it about you. Um this is important there's a couple different specific levels I think of with this sometimes it can be easy for us to like something so hard and I just so quickly like jump into the emotion of it with you and I'm like really feeling it and neither just like sobbing or angry and that's not usually that helpful that can make it feel like I'm really on your side or something but that's actually not usually helpful right when we're just riling each other up um, emotionally or angry or whatever it is that's usually not that great um, so I don't want to, that, that becomes about how I feel in response to what you're feeling, and now we're all just feeling in Jenny Allen's tornado spiral, and that's not helpful. So I don't want to do that, because that, that really becomes about me and how I want to feel, or how I want you to feel about how I feel, and that's not helpful. Another thing um, that's different, another thing that I see happen in um, why this is important, learn to empathize, empathize without making it about you, is, um, and sometimes this can be good, sometimes it's really not helpful, you gotta discern the balance, is that sometimes somebody's sharing something really hard and you're like, oh, I know what you mean because I experienced something totally different that wasn't as hard, and so I know what you mean. And people are like, oh, great, I'm glad I told you because now this sucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> Does that ever happen to you? It's not great. The hard thing is there can be value sometimes in meeting somebody and being like, you know what? I remember a time when. Like, that can be helpful. And so there's like a genuine me too kind of feeling. So I'm sure you guys have experienced that too when you're talking with someone and you're like oh I'm not the only one who's felt like that thank you wow I'm so grateful that they were willing to share that with me that could be really good but I'm sure you guys have also felt sometimes when you're like no I don't think you do understand but you wanted to tell that story or you want to feel like you know you know everything that's not helpful to me Um, so again having quick discernment is so helpful sometimes it's good sometimes it's not but being able to I I would say um, default to listen and not share is probably a good default unless god really puts something on your on your mind on your heart that's like man i feel like the spirit is asking me to identify here otherwise i think a good default is like i'm so sorry wow and that's usually the best way to to meet people And um genuine so there's a um, parenting thing called love and logic i don't know if you guys have heard of this. I don't. We don't use it all the time, but sometimes we listen, learn some of their principles. is super helpful. One of the main um, principles. This is going down a rabbit hole a little bit. It'll be worth it. Um, One of the main principles of love and logic is um, basically let your kids experience the natural consequences of their behaviors while the while the consequences are small, so that they don't experience the consequences of those behaviors when they're eighteen. You know, so it's like you're going to throw a fit because you didn't get applesauce. Okay, then you don't get applesauce, and eventually, like I'm not going to cave into that, and I'm not going to react to your reaction. You're not going to get your way eventually, they'll stop throwing fits because they don't work. If they continue to work, then when they're 18, they're going to keep throwing fits, and it's going to be awful. Does that make sense, the principle? Mm -hmm. But one of the main things in it that is kind of the linchpin of all of it, um, they say all the time, is empathy, like real, genuine empathy for for kids. So to be able to say, they're throwing a fix, you didn't get applesauce, you're like, oh, that's too bad. Well, I'm right. You're going to have to deal with it, and you'll thank me later. Then the kid's going to resent you. But if it's like, I'm so sorry. That I know it's really hard to, if you feel hungry and you're not being able to eat that. I'm really sorry. Come here. I love you. That's a totally different thing that I'm still not giving in. I'm not going to give her what she's crying about. But I genuinely empathize. Then I'm trusted. Then the next time it's easier. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That principle of empathizing? This is, that's what happens when we're shepherding people too. It's the same kind of thing. So it can't just be like, oh, wow, that really stinks. Man. And it can be the kind of like, I know that too, because that's not actually empathizing. But when you really meet them, like, oh my gosh,
2: that is hard.
0: Like I can really find a way to feel some version of what you're feeling. Then that person's like, I think you get it. And I'm glad I told you. Thank you for listening. Next time, the relationship is stronger. Does that make sense? Long rabbit trail. Hopefully that was helpful to you. Love and magic. Uh, next one. Embrace your role as the spiritual one. "Quote unquote," Embrace your role as the spiritual one. Um, I think this is kind of weird, but I think it'll make sense. I think it's really helpful. When you're in ministry, when you're somebody who knows Scripture well, which you all are going to be, somebody who correctly handles the word of truth and you're not ashamed of it, you hold it tight and you talk about it often, you'll get comments like, oh, you're the Bible guy, or like, well, I know you're the spiritual one, so maybe you should pray. If you're going to really live a life where you're like, I want to be holy, and I want to genuinely be humble in a way that leads people. I want to be emotionally healthy. I want to be spiritually healthy. I want to be a tone setter for following Jesus. There, there's a way that I can be prideful. I don't want to be prideful about that. I'm not like pharisaical about, so you have to do these things, and if you don't, it's bad. But like, I want to be a spiritual tone setter in any room that I'm in, best I can. And there's some that I won't be. Um, when I was in Turkey and I'm meeting with Christians who are persecuted and smuggling Bibles and all that stuff, like I'm not setting the spiritual tone in this room. I'm just going to receive from right. it. You know, there you can't always like. It's not about a competition or vain conceit, mm-hmm. self ambition thing, but there is a healthy like. I want to be holy. I want to be godly. I want to know the Bible really, really well. I want to be really good at ministry. I want to do that stuff, and I hope you guys want to do that stuff too. And when we want to do that genuinely, it's humble, right? But when you live that kind of life, when you don't make the same decisions other people make, when you don't talk the same way, joke the same way other people talk and joke, when you don't bend and break rules like other people do and make fun of it and roll your eyes at it, when you really have a quiet time and really take your desert days and really guard a Sabbath. This happened to me um, last week. Somebody kind of made some sarcastic comment about like, wow, you're way better at Sabbathing than me if that's really a thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I didn't respond to you yesterday. My phone was off. And I and I wasn't I didn't say it flippant like that, I'm making my point right now. I was just like, Oh yeah, well, that's been a great day for us, you know. You're gonna get comments like that. People are like, wow, you're maybe you should be the one who prays for dinner because you're the pastor, that kind of stuff. I don't wanna I don't wanna embrace the, the version of that that puffs me up. But I also don't wanna be like, No, 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 I'm just like you. I mess up like in these ways too, and it's not that great and I watch this and I'm like finding ways to be cool and fit in with everybody else. I'm okay. I'm okay if people feel like I'm more spiritual than them. I don't want them to feel that way. But if people are going to do that, and if people are going to be like, well, you're the Bible guy, you know everything, like, well, I really don't. But I'll answer your question. I, like, I'm glad you're asking. You know, here's where I learned it. Like, embrace the fact that if you're going to be a spiritual tone setter in your communities, people will see you as one. And sometimes that makes people insecure and uncomfortable, and they might make comments about it. Let it roll off like water rolls off a duck's feathers and embrace the fact that you're trying to set a spiritual tone because it's worth setting. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So again, that, that cannot become an arrogance thing where you're like, yeah, I know I am the spiritual one because then now you're not. Like you just vacated that role. But if people want to feel that way about you and think you're so something, I'm like, well, just keep being who you are and have answers and be prayerful and be holy and humble and healthy and set the tone. And I think that's okay. You know, don't run from it. Does that make sense?
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Next one, um, as kind of a necessary corollary to this one. Embrace the reality of your humanity. Embrace the reality of your humanity. You're not perfect. You can't win every, you know, spiritual contest. You shouldn't. You're not going to. You can't be totally interruptible and totally productive. You can't be totally the same as Jesus Christ Himself. Like you can't do all that stuff. So it's okay when you're not. Like because if you have any comfort from God's love, right, then it's that's what ministry is going to flow out of. So take comfort in the fact that you're loved. You're a child of God. You are. Um, I love what this says. Kind of the way this works in verse seven. Jesus, it says, made Himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The way that's written poetically is like, to be human is to be a servant. The very nature of a servant is humanity. That's who we are. (laughs) We are servant people, lowly people, imperfect people who don't have it all together. That's okay. Um, Perfection as a standard will crush you. Um, But so also will kind of this like, um, just groveling down and I have nothing worth giving. Like no, as a human, you are made in God's image you're not God you're made in his image you're a servant but the Psalms say he made us a little lower than the angels right? or Hebrews says that I think the Psalms do too you know, does, do you remember that verse?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: which is crazy to think about so as human beings we are servant lowly imperfect things we are also made in God's image which is a big deal mm-hmm. so where that humility finds itself embrace that I'm a human person which means I'm made in God's image and deeply loved by him I am his son in Jesus name I am an inheritor of the kingdom of God. If you remember from cost Conference, um, one of the things John Piper said that was so good, I'm going to inherit the world someday.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So all this other stuff pales in comparison to my inheritance. That's who we are as human beings. And also, I live in flesh, and I'm enslaved to it in some ways. And the Spirit is working in me to sanctify me, and I'm still not there yet. I mean, all those things are equally true. Embrace that. Perfection as a standard will crush you. Um, Just kind of this like hands-off, I can never grow thing will undermine you. Find the middle ground where it's like, I'm a human being, which means fully loved and very sinful. Both of those things meet in a beautiful way, and that's where ministry is, which I think is a big deal. Jesus emptied himself of God so that he could be human. We just like embrace it. We can't can't grasp onto the nature of God for ourselves. Be human, and that's okay. It's a good thing to do. Next, another just kind of application that comes out of this type of mindset when we really embrace the mind of Christ. Learn to interact well across generational and life phase gaps. Learn to interact well across generational and life phase gaps. Uh, And I would say if we are emptying ourselves of whatever selfish ambition and vainglory we have, and if we are pursuing true humility and considering others better than ourselves, then the drive for this, the onus of this, falls to us. Um, learn to interact well across generational and life phase gaps. So what I mean by that is um, not just like get comfortable talking to old people or get comfortable talking to people who are married if you're not, or get comfortable talking to people who are single if you're not. It's not just about like do it and get comfortable with it and they should find ways to interact with you too. I would say if we're the ministry leaders, it's on us to figure out, I'm going to be good at this. I'm going to find out what they need, how they need to be communicated with, and I'm going to do my best to do that in an honoring way. Um. So don't just, don't just think like, well, you know, these people who are older than me are like, uh, they, it's harder for them to grasp what's going on these days in our generation or whatever. So they got to figure out how to be flexible to change. Maybe some of that's true. But if you're the ministry leader, it's your job to figure out how to communicate across that generation gap. It's your job to figure out how people in generations older than you think and communicate and what they value and meet them there. It's not their job to make all the changes so that you feel better because that's selfish ambition and being conceit. But we are people who consider others better than ourselves. Mm-hmm. So figure out how you can communicate. Now that may mean, just like any conversation ever, that you've got to do some hard leadership and make some changes or make a decision that's unpopular. But it's also on you to say, I'm making this decision. Who's going to be impacted? Let me go talk to them and hear what they have to say. And I know they're probably going to be thinking this way. Because I've done some thinking and praying and studying about how to communicate well across generation gaps and life phase gaps. Let me meet them there and try to lead them into where we need to go. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But you take that on. Don't just like, shove people aside and think, oh, they got to figure out how to keep up with what we're doing. That's not leadership. That's like a dictatorship. It's our job to figure out how to communicate well across generational and life phase gaps. That could mean older than you. It could mean younger than you. Um, but that's how, that's how we do it. Um, the life phase gaps thing, too. Um, just because you don't have kids doesn't mean you can't talk to people who are parents. Now, that may mean that you don't have tons of parenting advice for them. That's okay. There's lots of people I don't have advice for. I've never been addicted to alcohol. I can still minister to somebody who is. Mm-hmm. You know. So whatever it is, you find like different life phases and it can feel like, well, I'm not that, so I can't... Yeah, you can. Figure out how to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. And you can lead and it'll be great if you pursue them and consider them better than yourselves and find value in meeting Even people where
2: they
0: are. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a big deal. And, and again, take it on yourself. I need to figure it out. It's not their job to bend to me. If I'm leading, then that means I, I'm getting people to come.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm going to go get them and try to bring them. Mm. So here's that next one. It goes into the next one. Bring people with you as you lead. Bring people with you as you lead. If you think you're leading somewhere and nobody's following you, then you're not leading. You're just going for a walk somewhere on your own, right? Mm -hmm. People got to come with you. And sometimes I think it's this like bravado of like, well, this is leadership and it's only up here and this is where we're going. And if people don't like it, they can deal with it. And sometimes I think you need to get to kind of a strong point of like, this is what we have to do. And we're not going to have 100% following on this or 100% buy-in on this. But I'm going this way. You know, this is the way... That as a leader, I need to take things and we got to go and I got to bring as many people as I can. But if nobody's going with you, then you're probably wrong. That's not leadership, <laughs> it's just going for a walk on your own. Um, so make sure you bring people with you as you lead. And that's the difference, too, in being a like CEO, like just run the show and I'm doing, doing this thing and taking the hill, vainglory, selfish ambition. That's different than a shepherd who says, come with me. I'm not going to just leave you here because it's dangerous. Let's go. I'm not just gonna leave you here because the grass is gone. Let's go. Um, that's a different type of leadership to make sure they come than you just going because you think it's a good thing to do. Does that make sense?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Next one. <clears throat> Discern the tension between leading and collaborating. Discern the ten- tension between leading and collaborating. This is another one of those things I think is just like always kind of tough. You got to figure out. Um, I think it's hard. Um, I've been in. I've been in some. Meetings, I and mean, this is all years ago, but I remember there, there was just so much frustration, and understandably, about like, you know, these decisions are happening, our worship services are being planned, or whatever, we're planning an Easter service, and not everybody's in the room. Who, like, I want to have a say, people want to have a say, and it's only two people making the decision, or whatever it is. So then it's like, all right, fine. And then 45 people are in the room trying to pick a song for a moment on an Easter Sunday. That's never going to work. And we, we sat through three of those meetings, maybe, and made like, backtracked each time. Like, it's just not, we're trying to say, people are saying, like, we're not collaborating. It's just, like, one person calling the shots and we don't know what's happening. Like, all right, fine. Everybody get in here. I'm like, well, that's not collaborating either. That's, like, a riot, you know? Um, so finding, finding a way to be able to bring the right people together, the right voices together, and say, here's what we're doing. There's enough of us here that we can do this. We're going to collaborate on ideas. We're going to collaborate on suggestions. But whose decision is it? Like, I think figuring that out in leadership is really, really important. So where this comes from, from the um, Philippians 2 thing, is the same type of, like, um, this is not just selfish ambition, bank and seat, I'm making the decisions and running the show, and you guys all better like it. Um, but it's also not just this, like, well, I don't know. Everybody come together, and we're all going to do what everybody wants to do. Like, that's not helpful. You're not going to do anything. Um, so finding a way to humbly, genuinely bring people along, and be able to embrace the fact that we have to make progress. So how you do that is really hard to figure out. What's the right amount of people in a room? I don't know. It probably depends on the decision. What's the right kind of people in the room? I don't know. It probably depends on the topic. I mean, there's just so many. It's, there's no like, perfect way to do it. But this is one of those things that I think can only really be done well with a genuine, healthy humility. That's not thinking lowly of yourself and like, well, I guess I just have to hear everybody's opinions and do what they want me to do so they don't get mad. That's self-effacing, not helpful. But it's also not, I'm in charge, you guys just bow to what I say. That's not considering others better than yourselves. So it's one of these, like, how do you discern the middle? I don't know. Fellowship with the Spirit, comfort from His love, tenderness and compassion, that kind of thing. Um, and that's where this can be done well. I think it's still a challenge. Maybe especially if you're in nine. It's hard. Uh, next one. Learn people's names. Learn people's names. It's a big deal. It's an easy thing, but it's a big deal. You guys have heard me talk about this before, so i won't belabor it a time, But I will say a couple of things because it's worth saying again. It drives me crazy when people are like, I'm just not good at names. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's harder for you. I'm sure it's harder for some people than others. Get that. Um, but you can do it. And as soon as you say, I'm not good at learning people's names, you've just given yourself the excuse, and you're not going to do it but and you don't even have to say I'm great at names because that may not be true either you know don't lie but you can say I love people and I want to know these people and that's worth it and that's a different goal than am I good at this or not good at this it's like do I love you yeah so it's worth it and I'm sure you guys have seen and experienced personally when somebody remembers you that you didn't think would or somebody calls you by name that you're surprised they, they knew and it's like wow I feel like I could belong you know It just does something to you. And I'm sure, I hope you guys have been able to do this for people. And they come back a second time after you did all the small talk the first time. And they come back and you remember their name. They're like, oh, you know, like it does, it changes the room. It changes the heart. It just does a ton. So um, never lose sight of this little thing. This This could be one of the most helpful things that you can just tuck away in your ministry. Don't give yourself the excuse that you're not good at it. You can be good at it even if you're not, you haven't been before. You can be, because you love people enough. You know, you can. Learn people's names, it, it'll change stuff for you. It'll help you love people better. It'll help you pray for them better. It'll help you when you're leaving an event um, or something. If you just like go back through, like okay, who is so and so, like say them out loud, practice it. Just try to remember. It's easy to like meet people and you think you got it and then the next time they show up and hope you got it, like on the way home, like practice. Go back through faces and names and conversations and like pin it somewhere in your brain. The difference it makes is worth it. It's worth it. And it'll help you pray. It'll help you love them. It'll help you do ministry well. It'll help you be trusted. That's just really worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And then related to that, these last two are very... um, I didn't come up with these. The last one, personal follow-up and check-ins make a huge difference. Personal follow-up and check-ins make a huge difference. Um, So not just the bulk email, but the phone call. Um, Not just the mailer but the text. You know, all that stuff. It's like, as, as much as is, as, as is appropriate, personal follow-up, personal connection, personal questions makes a huge difference. Somebody shares a prayer request with you, ask them how it went. Um, somebody shares a struggle with you, check in on them next week. Somebody says it's been a really, really hard week, ask them if the next week's gotten any better. Just those little things that are easy, it's really not that hard to do. When they accumulate, it's a lot. When you can remember and just do a little bit, it does so much, and it goes so far to just check in and follow up and be um, connected to them. I, um, I've heard Dave Stone talk about it. These last two are very Dave to me. Um, he's so good at these things. But I've heard him when he talks about names and when he talks about this little personal follow-up stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I can just hear him saying, like with tears in his eyes probably, the bar is so low on this stuff. Mm. In our society, in the world, in our churches, in normal life, the bar is so low. But if you can walk in a room and remember somebody's name, it might make their day.
2: That's so simple.
0: But you guys know how you would feel. The bar is so low on just being cared for and being personally connected, being face-to-face known and cared about. So any little thing you can do that's above that super low, sad bar just could blow the lights out for somebody. Um, so any little thing like that you can do makes a huge difference. Handwritten note, gold. Mail that to people. Um, here at church you can mail stuff to people and even like your ministry will pay for it if it's ministry related do you know that ask your ministry mentor if you don't know it's totally worth it. I mean it's worth a stamp too goodness but easy mm-hmm. write a note put it in the mail church will send it mm-hmm. um, but doing that little thing does so much there's um, somebody I used to do baptisms a lot in the Blankton Baker baptistry and you're just on a rotation and you do it there is I, I did this with a handful of people but there's one in particular I remember because I just happened to see them all the time um, a dad was baptizing his son. So I was just in the water. I didn't even baptize the guy. I was just in the water. was friendly. That week, I wrote him a note, mailed it. And then I, the, a couple weeks later, I saw them at church. And they like came over, like calling me by name, like gushing about how much of an impact it made. And I'm like, I don't think I did anything special. I was there, and I wrote a note. And I remembered their names when they walked up. And now I still see them at church, and they'll come over and talk to me. It's like, and that's, it. that's the only connections we've had and I think about them all the time I see them and I pray for him and I, you know, that stuff matters and it was so easy the bar is really low and you can succeed really well and it's really effective so a personal follow up check ins make a huge difference there's no, nothing too small and nothing that's just like not worth doing it's always worth doing and some of this is even very spirit led sometimes it's just like somebody's on my heart and I don't know why
2: mm-hmm.
0: write them it up Somebody's on my heart, and I don't know why. Give them a call next time you're driving between home and work. See what's up, because um, you have the Spirit communicating with you. Mm -hmm. So trust that. Sometimes God just, that's how He cares for people. You know, He just kind of connects dots like that. So trust the Spirit when you feel those things. Um, the amount of times, I don't do that all the time, and I'm not, you know, there's opportunities I miss. But when I take them, it's like, oh, wow, God knew what He's doing. You know, so... Be willing to say yes. And the more you say it, we've talked about this too. The more you say yes to the Spirit, I think the more the Spirit tells you stuff. Because it's like, I trust you, you're going to do something with this. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you more. Mm-hmm. Um, so say yes. See what happens. Mm-hmm. You'll never regret it. Okay, questions, thoughts? Yeah, Debbie. I have to put names in them. Joe and I will do that a lot. And it's not just Joe. It's if I'm at something with Joe, but I'll do it with whatever ministry person I'm at something with. Um, I've done this with Kathy sometimes at Prepare or probably some of you. That An event's over and I'm like, okay, so that person was, what was their name again? And they were from this place and they did this thing. Okay, who was that? I saw you talking to somebody over there, but I didn't get to meet them. What was their name? And I can just like rattle that stuff and then sure enough, the next Sunday I'm at church, I see them. I'm like, man, I'm glad I practiced. But having somebody to debrief with helps me a lot too. And it, it can feel silly but I really will go, like, conversation by conversation. Like, okay, I... T- and the person I'm talking to, man, I or care. But I'm like, okay, I talked to somebody who was, like... Um, he had, like, blonde hair and was kind of dressed. He was wearing, like, a blue shirt. And his name was whatever. Like, but just recapping it, mm-hmm. then it sticks, then you remember, then you can care. Um, it makes a big difference. So find somebody who's at something with you like that. to like, hey, let's, let's uh, compare notes. Did you get to meet everybody? Here's who I met. And it's really helpful. I just want to share a cool story.
1: So in our student ministry at Lagrange, There was a girl there that I guess was by herself and Lindsay saw her. And so Lindsay went and talked to her, just learned her name, what things she was interested in. And the girl talked about like some video game or something that she really liked. And so they just chatted for a little bit. It probably wasn't over five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the girl's father came and said, I just want to let you all know, like my little girl, I just asked her to go to student groups for four weeks and if she hated it after four weeks, she didn't have to ever go. And he said this was week four. And now she's talked about all week how she can't go Mm. wait to go back and to talk to your wife. Mm. And now that little girl, like, even though Lindsay leads junior girls, this girl's like in seventh grade. Mm. And like her favorite part is seeing Lindsay and talking to
0: Lindsay and catching her. It's like the bar is so low. So low. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, like, I'm sure Lindsay did have to do some, like, okay, go find this girl, go start it. But on the whole, it's like, what do you like to do? And just listen. And people feel so
2: loved.
1: And so that's, that's nothing new. But I just wanted to share. It with you. Yeah, it really, just it makes takes such a difference. Literally nothing for us to just love on people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like little encouraging stories like that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And now she's going to experience weekend. That's awesome.
2: Yes. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. so good. Yeah, so good. Yeah. I was All right. Gonna say, I yeah. feel
1: like someone that helps me with names, because like I had this happen last night with a girl who's in my sophomore girls group, but she has. Maybe three times, but it's been like weeks stretched out here and there. And I was taking attendance and I leaned over and I asked her, I was like, Your name is Savannah, right? Mm-hmm. And she was like, Yes. And I was like, Okay, I will never forget that yeah. again. Yeah. Like, when you do have to ask a second time, mm-hmm. just be yeah. like, Okay, that's the last time I'm ever gonna ask yeah. your name. And the next time that I see you. her, I will make sure I say, Hey, Savannah, yeah. so that she knows, like, I know her name now. Because mm-hmm. I've had that happen. It's hard yeah. when, like, they don't come every week sometimes. Mm-hmm. But just, and I've had that happen with, like, mm-hmm. a volunteer on a Sunday even, like, learn their name the same time. Like, hey, okay. next time I saw her, hey, yeah. Sandy, like, yep. how are you? So, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, that's really good. I'll also say sometimes I'm really not sure or I'm wrong or something, and sometimes you just got to go for it, too. And that's and that can be the worst. Mm-hmm. But if then you know what happens. If you don't, then six months later, you still don't know. Mm-hmm. And you'll never talk yeah. about it. Yeah. And you're never connected and you haven't helped them. But if you, because this has happened to me, especially at Southeast, you get a lot of grace. If you go up to somebody and like, hey, is it? I've been trying to remember. Because I really care. I want to get it right. Is it Savannah? And they're like, no, my name's Sadie. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I really wanted to remember. I was trying. Mm-hmm. Sadie. Okay. And it, but even then, they're, they're usually not thinking, I can't believe they didn't know my name. Yeah. They're thinking like, wow, usually should try it? Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's nice. Okay. And because I didn't feel awkward about it and just did it and apologized, they don't feel awkward either. Mm-hmm. Like, awkwardness is such a mutual thing. And they would be so afraid of, like, I'm going to create the awkward. It's like, well, oh, I, if I don't think it's awkward, then I can rise above it and make it okay. Most of the time. Sometimes you can't, but most of the time, it's like, this is an awkward situation. I don't know, I feel fine. Yeah. What do you want to talk about next? You know, like you can just like I'm gonna be above it, and then usually it's like oh that was okay. So something like forgetting a name, even sometimes I'll just embrace like I'm I don't remember. I'm so sorry. It's okay, you know. And then you'll probably remember next time because <laughs> it was embarrassing. Yeah. I feel
1: like if I've ever gotten the name wrong, like if I'm like oh hey Chris, he's like oh it's
0: Mike then I remember it better because Mm -hmm. I got it wrong because you're nervous. Yeah. And so then it's like, Oh, you're not Chris, you're Mike. And then like the next time I will remember that conversation
1: of, Oh, I got your name wrong last time. It's Mike, you know? And like, I don't know. It's just weird
0: how brain works. Yeah. Yeah. It's just worth it. Cause yeah, again, six months from then you never would have gotten there. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Good talk guys. Um,